Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. For those of you that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There, there is a flipbook which has very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me which has a lot of the print in highlighted red. And that those are links to many profound and amazing YouTube videos that highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing here from many fields of science and archaeology. I also want to mention today, today is November, pardon me, December the 1st of 2022 on Thursday, that I have now put up my new book on Amazon, both in Kindle ebook as well as in print format. It's 367 pages in print. And there's extensive links on there. And I will be announcing later on today the publication of my book on Amazon. And it will be offered for free for five days in the Kindle format. So this is a work that has gone on for many years, probably about three years. And I want you to be aware of that so that you can know the blessing of all the research that has gone into the evidence of life after death. The book is titled Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable. And uh, I just am here now to share with those that have come to know the ultimate meaning and purpose for their life, that have come to enter in to knowing the very love life source of all existence, the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, who is who the one true eternal God is. And what I do with my messages is I seek to speak them as the oracles of God, because it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That is referring to those that come together to assemble together before the one true eternal God who is revealed in Jesus Christ in his fullness. They are to come together, and as they come together to worship God in their midst, they are to seek to allow God to speak through them. This is further explained in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a pure heart and great humility and reverence, out of love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are coming from the Spirit of God with words that are beyond our own words. It comes out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. And so I will seek to give this message out of a heart set and mindset of worship. And what I do to facilitate speaking prophetically, that is, as the oracles of God, is I cast lots before God with great reverence and prayer 
to receive the possibility of any chapter from the Bible, any two chapters with two independent random applications that I use on the internet. So I get two chapters that bear witness with one another. I meditate on those two chapters for only a half an hour, and then I preach the message. And so that is what I will be doing today, and I always love to choose a song before, sometimes by the casting of a lot, other times just prayerfully, seeking for one that would fit in with the theme that has come forth from those two chapters. So today I want to share now, first of all, the song that I've chosen to sing with this message. So we will go to that song now and begin to worship the Lord. And then after that, I will share, not knowing what I'm going to share, but out of a heart set and mindset of worship, I will speak prophetically. I will seek to speak prophetically fully what God would be saying by his spirit to you as an individual and to the body of Christ around the world in this serious time of crisis. So here is the song, the worship song. Mercy. 
<coughs> excuse me um, we will just go to the passage now that I received today from the Word of God the two passages by the casting of lots today were Luke chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 7 and there is definitely a theme between these two chapters but I do want to before I get into this to mention that I have not spoken for some time and much of the reason for that is that I've been so close to getting my book finished that I have engaged myself in a lot more time with that and also there's been other situations that have arisen so that's the reason there hasn't been as many messages as normal normally I would preach almost every day of the week but we'll probably be getting back into that in the future uh, more and more so uh, so I did receive some powerful messages by the casting of lot that I did not speak, although I spent the time meditating on the Word of God. For example, yesterday, I received Ezekiel 24 and 1 Samuel 15. And I might just want to touch on that before I get in to what I received today. Yesterday, what was God saying from Ezekiel 24 and 1 Samuel 15. Well, the theme verse in Ezekiel 24, one of them is, that he that escapeth in that day shall come unto thee to cause thee to hear it with thine ear. Pardon me, I have to move this over a bit more to see everything. With thine ears. In that day shall thy mouth be open to him which is escaped, and thou shalt speak and be no more drunk, dumb. And thou shalt be a sign unto them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, in Ezekiel 24, God pronounces very, very serious and severe judgments upon the nation of Israel because of their stubbornness and their idolatry before God. And then the time comes when that judgment comes, and it says here that he that escapes is going to come to tell Ezekiel, Yes, look at this is all that's happened. And then they shall know that I am Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God, Yahweh. Sometimes people want to pronounce it Yehovah, but that is not as accurate, actually, from all the studies that reveal Yahweh is the most accurate word for the name of God. In fact, there's even some savage tribes that came to the Lord in a marvelous way in northern India that used the name Yahweh and had been speaking for hundreds of years about the fact that a white man would come and bring them the lost book of God. And it happened. And it's an amazing story. And it really fits into the theme that I'm going to be sharing on the two chapters, Luke 1 and 7, that I got today. Uh, just occurred to me to share this. That when they were there in northern India, this headhunting tribe, not in any way near Christianity or Judaism, nowhere near those civilizations so that they could never have heard these things. But they had various songs passed down about all of, you know, how many of them of these tribes, probably this tribe as well, of how they fell from the one true God. And also, of the account of the worldwide flood. All of these things are found in many traditional songs that go back 
to the very beginning of their origins. Uh, and so this tribe in northern India, one day their prophet, this head-hunting tribe, says to them, the man with the lost book of God, a man with white skin, they'd been prophesying that a man with white skin would bring the lost book of God to them for hundreds of years. And this prophet finally says, this man has arrived and what we are going to do is follow a donkey and let it lead us to this man that has the last book of God. They followed this donkey for 200 miles through very rugged jungle and terrible conditions. The donkey, come, the donkey comes into a town and goes to a well and stands at the well. This savage tribe looks down the well and a man comes up out of the well with white skin to their shop. And they say, do you have the lost book of God? And the man says, yes, I have your book of God. And this is a true story. And of course, thousands of people from this tribe came to know the Lord. And that's not the only tribe that had that amazing foreknowledge of God's plan for them to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And what I receive today also in Luke 1 and 7 are both show the foreknowledge of God, how God has predestined things that take place for his purposes to unfold in the world. But before I get into it, I want to emphasize again yesterday with Ezekiel 24 and 1 Samuel 15. In 1 Samuel 15, we read this concerning Saul. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That's pretty serious. That you can have rebellion and yet not be committing witchcraft. That you can have a stubbornness in your heart that is equivalent to the iniquity of idolatry and yet not be committing idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. <coughs> what did Saul fail to do? God commanded them to totally destroy the Amalekites because of what they had done to the children of Israel in generations of the past. And because they were such a wicked people, so idolaters, no doubt burning their own children in a fire onto demon, demonic gods and committing all kinds of immoral abominations against God. A culture that is a total anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-life, culture. And so God commands Saul to not spare any of them, not their animals, not anything. What does he do? He spares all the good animals and all, and he spares king, the king. Kills everyone else, but spares Agag. Who knows what that name means in the original? I don't want to spend the time to look it up right now in this list of proper names I have. But you can be no doubt that his name most likely represents some 
significant meaning. And what does Samuel say to him? Well, first of all, Samuel tells him what I just read here about his stubbornness and his rebellion being as idolatry and the sin of witchcraft. But Saul pleads with Samuel, says, oh, okay, I've been wrong. I repent, I repent. And, and Samuel, and he goes on to say, well, I did it because I feared the people. We walk before the living God in the genuine fear of God. We do not take lightly what God commands us to do. There is great severity. And many people, they shrink back when they consider the severity of God's judgment upon sin and upon how holy, how integrous God's love is that it will not tolerate what is contrary to love in the slightest. You don't bring offerings before God that have blemishes in them. That is an abomination before God. When you really love someone, you don't treat them as common. They are greatly respected before you, and you treat them with great respect and reverence. And in, certainly their words are taken with great respect and reverence. This is the living God, the very source of love, <coughs> the very source of reality, of beauty, of all creation, way beyond our ability to comprehend in greatness even these other dimensions that people enter into. I mean, the physical dimension is so inferior to the dimension you enter into when you die and either go to heaven or hell. I don't have time to get into that. You've got to read my book called Afterlife, Incredibly Irrefutable to know all about that. But God is calling us as his people to recognize who God is in these last days and enter into the genuine fear of God. And so here we are bringing it up to today and what I received today. Luke 1 and Exodus 7. And my, I could give a message here that would go on probably for three hours on what there is in this passage here. But basically we have in Luke chapter 1, the angel announcing the birth of John the Baptist, who would go before them in the power of Elijah, and the birth of Jesus Christ to Mary. God, in his foreknowledge, had planned all these things to come to pass. And in Exodus 7, we have God telling Moses that his plan is to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so I'll read this in Exodus 7, beginning in verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And what was God saying through Moses to Pharaoh? I want my people to come and serve me and worship me and be in my presence. What was the song that we sung today? It was about the delight of being in the presence of God, of having such a hunger and a thirst for God. 
of knowing our utter reverence before God like the little sparrow that makes its nest at the altar of God. We are frail before God, but we come into his presence and find our ultimate meaning and purpose and destiny that will ever enlarge in pleasures of fellowship and communion with God out of love for God and the myriads of his creation that we will be married to God with and in love with one another with that will go on forever and ever and ever. Ever enlarging without end. This is God's purpose, is that we are his people that come into such a deep loving union with him that he can find us as those living stones that are built together to be an habitation of God through the Spirit, <coughs> his corporate bride. God is calling us as his people to recognize that he has a plan in a time when everything seems so grave. It seemed very grave to the nation of Israel. It seemed like they were finished. They were taken over by the Romans. Where are all the words of the prophets that said this and this would happen? And then God comes on the scene and begins to unravel his plan against the enemy with the bringing forth of John the Baptist and the bringing forth of Jesus Christ. And so both of these chapters today are on the foreknowledge of God and his power and how he is the one that is molding and shaping history, even as, he, as a child is formed in the womb. How does that child form? It forms because certain cells are programmed to die in order to make certain things become a certain shape, and so on and so forth. Other cells are programmed to bring forth a certain shape. And so a child is formed in the womb because God has already put that all together in such complexity and detail that man cannot even fully understand and grasp. And so a child comes forth. And here... There is two children in the womb. And one of them, I know, it says, even of John the Baptist, amazing things. Before, he's in, before he comes out of his womb, John the Baptist is leaping in his womb for joy, in the womb of Elizabeth for joy when Mary greets her. And then Elizabeth prophesies to Mary these amazing words. And it says this, and blessed is she that believed in verse 45 of Luke 1. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Yes, and it goes on. And she continues to prophesy for some time of the amazing things that God will do through Jesus Christ <coughs> to bring forth his purpose of his people being married to him as a corporate bride to Christ. You know, this is all in God's plan. And I want to expand on this by going to Revelations 12, 3 to 6, 
where it says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. This is a prophecy looking over the span of time. And it certainly is a picture of Christ who the devil sought to devour through Herod. It is also a picture of the remnant body of Christ that will come forth in the last days, who the enemy will seek to devour by casting water out of his mouth. And who knows if that water isn't significant in its symbology of all of these vaccines that are killing people. But those that are genuine Christians recognize that they cannot take these vaccines, that people are being deceived. And of course, the statistics are out from valid sources of data, from insurance companies, from the morgues, from the U.S. database that was downloaded, which you can find at renz-law.com by the U.S. whistleblowers. Now they're trying to cover it all up, but they can't get away with it. It's already been caught. Legal action is being taken. A thousand eighty percent increase in neurological damage among U.S. soldiers is one example of the many things, including cancer and many that are dying in the U.S. Army and cannot fly their jets anymore. Many jets have crashed already because of neurological damage, etc. This is all going on, and the time is very dark. And the enemy is trying to destroy. And God, part of God's purpose, as I mentioned in past messages recently, was that it says the Lord would devour the whole earth with the fire of his jealousy in the last days. So there wouldn't be as many people left. Well, it's not God that's behind all of this death from the vaccines. There's very evil people behind this Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum are the people that are doing all of this with Bill Gates and others who have total control and influence over the drug companies that are producing these things and have, of course, subverted the medical boards and everything with big bribes of money and threats so that all of this whole power structure has come up around upon the whole earth and is causing massive death as never before. The increase between age 13 and 50 is an increase of 40-some-odd percent in death, way beyond the norm. The insurance companies say the highest it's ever gone is 10% increase in death, even with big you know, flus and plagues in the last 200 years. Now it's up to 40%. There's lots of people dying. But this is the hour we're living in, an hour that is very dark and serious. And God wants us as his people to be those that return to the genuine fear of God. that are not filled with stubbornness. Stubbornness 
and rebellion is, is the sin of witchcraft and idolatry. God is wanting us to be those that know true brokenness and humility, that walk with a circumspect walk out of a circumcised heart before him. Yes, we need to learn what it is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We need to learn what it is to have brokenness and humility before God, to weep before him, and out of that comes great joy. The ones that really know the greatest manifestation of joy in their midst are the ones that know what it is to rend their hearts and not their garments, to turn to him and to seek him, because it says, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. <coughs> there are people of prayer. And God is calling his church to become a house of prayer in these last days. And in his foreknowledge, he has a plan to bring forth his bride around the whole world. And I want to read another part of Revelations here. In Revelation 16, beginning in verse 12 to 16, we have part of a description of the events surrounding the Antichrist at the very last period of the Antichrist reign, which is a very dark period. And what you have basically in the book of Revelation, it's like a microscope that can zero down into various intensities and concentrations of time. And so you have in Revelations, the four beasts, and then the fifth seal of those that are slain under those four beast periods, the first period being, of course, the one that conquers with a white horse, speaking of world colonization from the time of Constantine on to this. And then you have the period of war and so on. And then you have the period of famine and so on. And you have these four things over the vast spans of time and martyrs within those various types of things that happen in history those four things that ultimately accumulate in the last days in the pale horse, of course, being the last one. And so that's a broad span of time. But here we, and then you have the, you know, the trumpets and so on, and it's like a microscope. And then it gets down to the very detail of this period of the last period of the Antichrist here in Revelation 16. And we read this. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the river, great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frauds come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now this is very similar to the water that is cast out of the serpent's mouth. It is uncleanness. It is the spirits of uncleanness that would draw God's people away to be deceived, to love the things of this world, and to believe the lies of false prophets in these last days. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth onto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked 
and they see his shame. So don't tell me that we're not going to go through the tribulation. Here we have the church in the middle of the tribulation, not in the middle, at the very end of the tribulation period. And what is God saying to his people at that time? Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In the midst of the very last events of the Antichrist, God is exhorting the church to be found pure and spotless, not naked. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And of course, so there's the gathering of two. There's the gathering of the bride of Christ coming forth in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's the gathering of the wicked together at Armageddon to be destroyed as the Lord returns with a sword of light, a piercing trumpet sword of light coming out of his mouth that will destroy the armies of the Antichrist world armies and bring in the reign of his kingdom. And then at that time, there will be a mighty earthquake as he begins to stand on the Mount of Olives. The cities of the nations will fall. The air will fill with the glory of God and the wicked, as it describes in Isaiah 33, will breathe the air and it will burn them alive with the glory of God that is in the presence of the atmosphere of the earth at that time. As he begins to set up his kingdom upon the earth, in the last days and begins to reign with the saints that return. And as described in Matthew 24, it is very clear that the whole world sees the Lord coming, but it happens after the sun and the moon are darkened. And that happens after the great tribulation of those days, it says, and then shall the sun and the moon be darkened. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken at that time. And then the whole world will see the Lord. And they will call for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and to hide them from the face of him that sits upon the throne. And at that time, it says also, the saints will be raptured. That he will come like the flash of lightning for his elect from the four winds of heaven to gather them together to come with him upon Mount Sinai and to reign with him upon the earth. This will happen at around the same time as he is returning and the whole world is seeing his return. And so, brothers and sisters, God has a plan and his desire is that our hearts are so set to seek him that we know his presence in our lives in such a deep and an intimate way out of the genuine fear of God, that bursts genuine honesty and humility, that brings forth such an intimacy with God. And that is what God is wanting. He's wanting us to know intimacy and closeness with him, to know our frailty and dependence apart. We are like a little sparrow under the altar. We need the place of refuge in his presence, brothers and sisters. That is where we will find his protection and his provision in these last days so that we know our God and can do exploits and find victory in every circumstance. So thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all. Walk in such a way 
that he is your habitation throughout the day. The more you know his habitation and dwelling in your life and everything you do, instead of becoming anxious and having your buttons pushed by all the things around you that can easily push your button, it can come to a point where you're so totally dead to the world and alive to a love relationship with God that nothing gets you uptight. Nothing makes you anxious. And that's what God's wanting. Us to come to that place of full conformity to him where we know individually and corporately his intimacy in our lives. Oh, I could go on preaching, but you know, I do want to mention the other book I have on the internet is God Headship and Body Invasion which shares everything you need to do in your local assembly so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. And so please catch this vision and get that book because we can never go back to being the church the way we are. We're living in an urgent hour where there's no time and where nothing will stand but those that are walking close with God. So let us be those that cannot be shaken by the winds of tribulation and trial and the things of this world and deception and all the other things that are blowing those away that have not found their anchor in the ultimate reality, Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God bless you all. Thank you.